0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Vibrant Life Allies, the podcast that teaches you all about life coaches, business coaches, health coaches, wellness coaches, essentially any kind of person whose job it is to help you live a more vibrant life. As always, I am your host, Lisa, the life coach, coach to help professional women achieve their goals and, you know, stop Struggling with that analysis paralysis or perfectionist paralysis. Get out there, take that messy action, achieve those goals, and just start really loving life. And I am just so excited um, to bring you this episode today. I just don't even know where to start with this guest. I had the pleasure of speaking with Felisa Asbury, and she and I have spoken several times and we will be speaking again in the future because I'm, you know, she's interviewing me to be on her I Am Who I Am seminar. So I'm excited about that. But you know, there's just so much to say about Felisa. She's amazing. She's retired from a long career in law enforcement. She is been married for a long time, has two grown daughters, and she is working on her PhD in psychology. So she's just very, you know, inspirational individual with so much to learn from her. And, you know, she came and we we talked about, you know, her program Authentic All the Time, which is kind of focusing on women who are in that midlife area. They've been a wife. They've been a mother, maybe even, you know, have some kind of career, but they haven't found themselves right? Who am I? What do I want? And just giving themselves that permission to be themselves and to be authentic and ask themselves, what do you want, you know, and what is it that you want in life and who are you? And not, you know, following someone else's rulebook or playbook or list of shoulds and should nots, you know, just being intentional with who you are and living that fulfillment filled, happy, purpose-driven life. And so I think that she just has a great message. You know, she talks about being in law enforcement and how she had to find, you know, her own identity. And not just step into that I'm the police role. And so that was very fascinating how, you know, she dealt with that and learned and grew from it and, you know, was able to be her authentic self and show up as herself and bring Felisa, you know, to the uniform. And so it was a very interesting conversation. And, you know, she also has a program for first responders to help them learn how to deal with the trauma that they face and you know, work on those soft skills when encountering the public and processing that kind of stuff. And I think that's an amazing resource. And then she also has a program helping people in that 16 to 24 year range learn how to be authentic early on and how to have emotional resilience and manage your emotions in a healthy way, which is Super important for all of us to learn. You know, that's what this podcast is about. But it's a gift to be able to learn it that early on. And so she also talks about race and her experience as an African-American and a police officer. So she has just fabulous insight there as well. You're just going to get so much value out of listening to that. And if it resonates with you, if you click with Felice's message and you want to find yourself and live that authentic life, you know, and build those deeper relationships because you're able to show up as yourself and truly give of who you are, then Felisa is the coach for you. So check it out. I know you're going to get tons of value from it. And I'm just grateful to be able to share it with you today. All right, go out and live vibrantly. And today I have with me the lovely Felisa. Felisa, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: My name is Felisa Asbury. I am midlife, 51, and I have just recently retired from a career in law enforcement. I did almost 27 years. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure most of the time. I have two daughters, ages 27 and almost 20. She'll be 20 um, in September, and I am married, have been married for 24 years. And I just recently started, well, not recently, but I turned it into a business, my ministry, which I call Authentic All the Time. And it's a business, it's a coaching and training company. And that's what I've been working on. That's my baby right now. Awesome. Authentic
0: all the time. So what is it that you do with this ministry?
1: So what I do is I coach women who are high-achieving, Or they have done a lot of things in their lives. Um, They're at midlife or they're at a point in their lives where they've done the raising of kids or finished their schooling or at the tail end of their jobs or whatever. And they want to figure out what to do for themselves. Kind of like after the game is done. After you've played the game, now what? So I coach women to figure out how to be the best versions of themselves. Okay. And to be authentic in that. Be their true selves.
0: Right. So they kind of come to you after, you know, they've been doing the wife, the mother, you know, all that for all these years mm-hmm. and now it's like, now what about me? Exactly. What's next for me? Exactly. And I think, you know, it's important for them at that point to find like you said, their best version, because many people might think that things are behind them now that they've raised their children and set them out into the world, but it's not. There's still so much more for
1: you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we easily step into the role of wife or mother or student, employee. But what about the individual that you are? What about you as a person, your wants, your desires, your needs? Oftentimes, that kind of stuff gets left on the back burner because you're doing all the other stuff, playing wife, mother, employee, auntie, whatever else you role you play. So now it's our turn. Let's figure out how we want to spend the rest of our lives.
0: Right. Yeah. And it can be difficult at that point to define who you are outside of those other roles. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So I can see how there would be a lot of coaching involved there to identify who it is you are and what you want, you know, and what that driving purpose is for you.
1: Yeah. So when I started my, my business, and this is really what catapulted me into the coaching piece, because I used to do just the training. I would ask the question, what do you want? It's a seemingly a simple question. What do you want? And you would not believe how difficult that question is for people to answer. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I have to use one rule in my coaching and that is I don't know is not an acceptable answer.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. It's not. I don't know means I don't care.
0: Yeah, yeah. Or I'm not gonna I'm not gonna think about Go that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. So a lot of women when they come to you, you ask them that and it kind of deer in headlights mm-hmm. response that you're getting.
1: Yep. It's a it's a hard question to answer, especially if you don't take the time to figure it out because we're always in automatic mode we're constantly moving and doing and you know oftentimes it's for other people and so when it's time for you you to answer the question for yourself it's like uh-oh i i can't tell you i don't know because we really haven't put that thought into it so i believe it's it's necessary to be intentional and i think it's necessary to take the time to figure it out
0: right absolutely What have you found that people learn, you know, when they ask themselves what they want and what they need, and they go about taking care of that and meeting those needs, the results that they have as far as their relationships with others and being able to take care of
1: others? I believe that it becomes more genuine because once you figure out what it is that you really want and you make that connection with other people, it allows you to deeply connect opposed to trying to figure out the answers to what they might want or what are they going to think or what if they, and you fill in the blank. So once you are sure on what it is that you want and you clear out all of the baggage from your past and you can truly feel, connect, it just makes it more genuine.
0: Right. Absolutely. When you're able to be authentic,
1: and Mm -hmm. present
0: that. That's very vulnerable for one thing. And then it also, you know, it's the real you that they're getting to know, not what you're trying to figure out will make them happy. Exactly. So other than just, I have never asked myself, what do I want or thought about it? What are some other common obstacles to living that authentic,
1: happier life? I find that, especially with ladies, women, especially when we get to midlife, we try to live the life that somebody told us that we should live. Um, As we were growing up, somebody told you, you should do this or you should do that. and So we end up living those lives, our lives for other people, if that makes sense. And so when you get to a point where you say, well, what do I want? You have to... Start to peel away at the layers that you've accumulated while you've gone through this life, peel it back and try to figure out, okay, is this really me or is this something that somebody put on to me? So I feel like once a person gives themselves permission to be authentic, to be true to themselves, they get to live the life that they were destined to live.
0: Absolutely. I like that. It's giving yourself the permission. Mm-hmm. Right. You are that person.
1: Mm-hmm. And you
0: just have to give yourself permission to show up and get to the core
1: of it, get to the core and make sure that that's really what you want. Oftentimes I'll ask ladies, is this something that you want for sure you and you have to be able to say, you know, yes or no and be OK with a no.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, like you said, we have these collections of other people's. Plans and shoulds that we've come across all of our lives that we have to weed through.
1: Mm-hmm. There are certain people in our lives that shape our lives. And unbeknownst to us, it starts when we're very, very, very young. I remember a point when my mother told me, Felicia, you can run fast. You know, we were playing in the street or something, and she said, You can run fast. And I said, Oh, my mother said, I can run fast. And so now I run fast, you know, that was my, my mindset was, okay, I run fast, but you got to think about the negative things too, that we attach or allow ourselves to uh, attach to like, it didn't happen to me necessarily, but through my coaching and my interaction with people over the last several years, a mother might've said, you are fat or you are you got a little weight on you that you might need to or you don't need to eat that popsicle or whatever a little kid and so you attach yourself to that as well and so you grow up you go through your life and now you have these negative thoughts about yourself because of what somebody said to you absolutely when four or five years old so we take the good and the bad but oftentimes we attach more so to the negative aspects. And we carry that through our lives. So when that mom said those things about the little girl, that had nothing to do with the little girl. That was mom's issue. But the little girl carried it throughout her life. Does that right. make sense?
0: Yes. No, that, and that's so true. And we, we build our whole identities around that. You know, like if someone says, hey, you can run fast you know, Mm -hmm. and then you go to art class and you draw something and they're like, oh, you're not really, you're not really artistic. (laughs) So, you know, then it's like your whole life when you have things that maybe they just don't come naturally instead of working on it, growing and learning, which is what everybody has to do. It's like, oh, well, I'm not that kind of person. I just, I Mm -hmm. can't do that.
1: And and oftentimes the things that we do, um, like take art for instance, that's subjective. Art is subjective. It's what you like, what you call artistic. So when somebody um, takes it upon themselves to judge your piece of art and give their opinion about it, now it's affecting you for the rest of your life. When is, whereas you could have been that artist that blossomed because of the abstract way you did your art. And now you allowed somebody else to take that from you. That could have very well been your gift and you've allowed it to be taken from you. And so that's what I mean when I say we get to peel back those layers and dispose of those things that we have accumulated over the years to find out our true blessings, our true selves.
0: Right. Yes. Dig through all the self-limiting beliefs that we've collected, Mm -hmm. you know, in our Mm -hmm. own minds or from outside sources. And if you want to do art, do art.
1: Yeah. (laughs) If you want to shake dance, shake dance. It's whatever you want to do. Really, it is. It's whatever you want to do. But see, you got to get to the point where you don't care what other people think. You just do what you do. You, we get one of these things that we know of, this thing called life. We only get one that we know of. So do what you do, whatever you want to do.
0: That's so true. It's so important to not spend your one life doing things that other people say you should mm-hmm. do. Or not doing things because someone else gave you the impression that you can't do it.
1: And that's their opinion. Everybody's got one. It's their opinion. So why do we take those things and we we allow it to dictate how we move forward in our lives?
0: Right. Their opinions are, and that's based on their thoughts and things Mm -hmm. that people might have told them when they were five
1: years old. Their (laughs) thoughts, their perceptions, their experiences. But we allow it to dictate how we move. And I believe that is um, where I come in with my coaching and my program, Authentically Me, to just let's get rid of that. Let's do away with those things. Start fresh, a clean slate, and move forward.
0: Right, right. So, you know, they've got to find out what they want. So they have to identify or peel back, you know, those layers, like you said, of other people telling them what they can't do, or even what they should do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that is probably a common one that you come up against is, this is what you should do and this is what this role looks like.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think we have to constantly do uh, a self-assessment, check in with yourself regularly to determine that if, that you're doing exactly what you wanna do. And it took me so long to figure that out. Um, But once I did, Lisa, it it has been so liberating to just live for me. The only ones that I'm really still working on are my kids. (laughs) My kids can still kind of get me to do things that they want me to do. And I'm like, ah, but (laughs) that's that's, that's a work in progress too. It's working though, (laughs) um, because now they're adults and I don't have to, you know, necessarily do what they want me to do. But I also recognize that I'm still a role model for them. And I'm still teaching them and they're still watching me to figure out how to, how to be adults. So I I consider that, but I, I'm better now than I used to be in terms of saying no, and I stick to it. <laughs> but those are the only two people in this world that have gotten me where I'm like, ah, oh, I still have to think about it before I say no.
0: <laughs> I think that's okay. I think that they can talk you into stuff every yeah.
1: now. <laughs> They got me, but that's okay. I I appreciate them. And, you know, I'm fortunate that they still come to me as their mother for guidance and support. Absolutely. That's a great testament
0: to um, the mother that you've been. Oh, yes. But so let's talk about this some more about that liberation of coming to that point where you were ready to be your authentic self.
1: So let me tell you how it all started. Um, being a police officer and i and I started way back in the early nineties being a police officer and i did I was fairly young, so i didn't really know who I was but becoming a police officer there's a certain culture, a certain lifestyle that you live as a as a police officer, especially in a metropolitan area and I found myself picking up the characteristics of police of being a police officer I was wearing it and So because I hadn't really understood who I was outside of policing, that's who I was all the time. And and it was a negative energy that I didn't necessarily appreciate. And I also found that I could not show up confidently as Felisa without my uniform on. So I didn't like that. I felt like I was a superhero where I had to have my cape. (laughs) Yikes. Otherwise, I was like, you know, like Superman, and and he's Clark Kent without the without the, what do you call it? His uniform, right? His well, he had his suit, and then he had his leotard, <laughs> right? So without his leotard, he couldn't. He was just Clark Kent, right? In his suit, he was a different person, and I felt like I was two different people, and I didn't like that. So I had to discover me, Felisa, so that I could show up. In whatever space I was in, as myself, without being the police, because oftentimes people will recognize me as Felisa the police, opposed to just Felisa. But that's the way I presented. So, you know, I had to learn how to separate the two, and it was necessary for me to separate the two because, as a police officer, I don't want to feel like I'm in a negative space all the time. When people call the police, it's usually something negative going on. And I didn't want to feel that all the time. So it was up to me to rediscover myself. And so that's how it really came about. And in doing away with all of the stuff that I picked up over the years, I became more familiar with who I am as an individual outside of the job. And it just is so freeing. It gives me an opportunity to just. Love me like now I've separated from the job. suppose I hadn't figured out who I am what I want in my life, I would be in a funk right now because i right. know, I'm no longer the police, so I needed to go through a process and having done that, I just um I'm okay with me. I'm looking yeah. forward to the rest of my life
0: yeah that's a fantastic story and i I can see that if you didn't have you know your identity as Felisa, that when you're not a police officer anymore, then who am I?
1: Mm-hmm. What do I do? Mm-hmm.
0: What, do I have value? Am mm-hmm. I serving? Is anyone listening to me? You know, without my cloak anybody, of
1: authority, <laughs> does anybody care? Right? Does anybody care right. about Felisa, or is it the police that they care about? Right. So it took some work, though. It was it was definitely work. You know, because I had accumulated all of this stuff. Along the way, because we view our world through our lens, our own personal lens. Absolutely. And so I'm in a much better space, and that's why I decided I want other women to feel what I feel, and that's really what um, created Authentic All the Time.
0: That's great. No, that's a wonderful story. I think it's a very clear way to see it. With you know, you having been law enforcement. Cause people can really see how you would have to step into a certain role and maybe even certain qualities, you know, I'm tough or I'm, you know, that kind of reserved and strength and authoritative, you know, side and, you know, having to reconcile that with you as a compassionate caring person as well with that's maybe not tough all the time.
1: Mm-hmm. Heaven forbid. And I'm not Heaven forbid. So <laughs> on the outside. I'm looking like one thing, but on the inside I am broken. You know, I was broken on the inside. And so I had to figure all of that out. Nobody would know. Nobody would know that I was going through that. Because on the outside, everything looked perfect. You know, you got the family, you got your husband, a beautiful home. You know, you're living life. The American dream. But on the inside, I was broken because I was, it was uh, two worlds colliding together. One, being a police officer and having this uh, authoritative approach to, to life. And then on the other side of me, I am much more compassionate and empathetic and all of that other stuff that don't necessarily mix with being a police officer. I tried to make it mix, but there was <laughs> there were some challenges in doing that. But yeah, it's great to be able to look back at my experiences now and see where I've from where I came to where I am. I don't even know how to explain it, Lisa.
0: <laughs> I see it on your face. Yeah, it's awesome. The awesome. the joy. You know, and I think that that's amazing that now you're helping other women with this because I can completely see women that are just so into whatever particular identity it is for them, whether it's wife or mother, you know, the one who takes care of everyone, the one who gets everything done, maybe even that's at the office. You know, I manage the office, and or I'm an attorney or a doctor or whatever it might be, a teacher but then who am I actually? What about me? How do I take care of me?
1: Mm -hmm. If you notice when people um, introduce themselves, the first thing they say is what they do opposed to who they are. Do you notice that?
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's true. And if Mm -hmm. you don't, then someone will ask you.
1: (laughs) Right. Like, Oh no, I am not. I'm more than just a police officer. I am compassionate. I am friendly. I am loving. I am kind. I am integrous. I am. Do you understand what I'm saying? All of that outside of being a police officer. But nobody really gets to the core of that because I can spew those things off to you because I have done that deep work to learn who I am. Other folks may not see it while I'm in uniform. And I didn't necessarily know it because I was in uniform. Yeah,
0: (laughs) absolutely. We identify ourselves by those roles. And that is very interesting. You know, when you, like you said, you meet someone it's like, what do you do? Or this is what I do. Or even if you say, tell me about yourself, right? The
1: first first thing you say is what you do. And my question wasn't, what do you do? My question is, introduce yourself. How are you? Who are you, you know?
0: Right. Yeah. No one ever leads with, I enjoy reading self-help books and watching raunchy reality TV
1: shows. Right.
0: (laughs) Right. It's like, or, and I'm an animal lover and I'm compassionate. Instead Mm -hmm. it's, this is what I do from nine to five, or I have two kids and that's all that I have, you know, that's my life. It's
1: like, you got more. Yeah. Yeah, much more than that. And that's the part where, you know, it was confusing to me along the way. Um, before I started to do the self-work and the, the hard work, because we are more than that. We are. I mean, I remember, if I could tell you another, another story that shaped my life where I am today. Absolutely. It, um, I went on a call, and there was, it was a, a welfare check where you go and check on the person because somebody is concerned about them. Oftentimes, we go on those kind of calls, and it doesn't end well. And in this case, it didn't. It didn't end well. Um, the lady was supposedly suicidal. That was the call you know that came in. She was suicidal. So my partner and I went there and he had to climb up up to the second porch to get in because the doors were locked downstairs. Long story short, is we went inside and this woman's apartment was immaculate. She had cleaned it, she had taken her medic, her pill bottles and put them on the dining room table. She put a receipt on the dining room table. She put her driver's license on the dining room table. And that gave us indication as to how long she had been there and all that. But she ended up killing herself with pills. She just laid down on the floor and died. The hardest part for me on, there, on that scene was the fact that she had a golden retriever and you could see where he was clawing at her heels, the heels with her feet to try to get her up. Uh, that tore me up Lisa yeah (laughs) to find out um, she had killed herself was awful enough but I read her suicide note and it just talked about how sad she was it talked about how she wanted to be buried in her um her wedding gown because that was the the best day of her life but -hmm. she was so 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 sad and she just kept repeating how sad she was and so I I'm in police mode. My heart is aching for this woman, but I'm in police mode. And so when her whoever the person it was that was concerned about her came over, I ran into him. He I was running down the stairs and he was coming up and I was just like she's dead. And it seemed so insensitive the way I said that. And I didn't get it until after the fact. Like, wow, Felicia, you didn't have to say that like that, but I was in police mode. But I was hurting for her. You see what I'm saying? The conflict. Mm-hmm. So when I left there, after we cleared that scene, I left there and I said to myself, what if I had to come here yesterday and I would have been able to talk her out of this, do you know what I mean? Or just give her some insight as to why she should continue to want to live, you know? And so that part struck me to the point where I said, let me go and do some more education because I need to know more. So when I run into these people, I can support them better from the other side, from a therapeutic or a more compassionate side. Because, you know, oftentimes when things, people are like that, they call people, call the police. I needed more of a foundation for, um, to be able to support people. And that always comes up for me. That call that I went on, that I can still see that image in my head. Uh, and this was years ago, years ago. But I felt like there's a lot of women walking around so sad on the inside and they just need some support. Because this lady was a nurse. She was at RN, Obviously a great job, but something was going on with her on the inside. Right. That caused her To do what she did. Right. So I felt like all of that, you know, all of my lessons, all of my experiences brought me to where I am now. We get to have a space that's safe and we can get all of that out. Get it out of get it out of us. You know, let's let's support each other and, and move on with our lives. Because I I mean of course I don't know, but that might have been a time and space for her. She might have just needed some support. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, even up until that very last moment, you know, like you said, everything was clean and in order. She was taking care of everyone else.
1: She was taking care of us. So when we found her, everything would be right there. She thought it all the way through.
0: Right. So a big heart, thoughtful, compassionate person, mm-hmm. but just at mm-hmm. that low point in, in her life and decided to end it all. And she was,
1: I mean, she was pretty successful the way it looked in her, you know, as we looked around, I don't know. So I just felt like, you know, that's a great space for me to build something to support other women. Right. And so you
0: said that you wanted to have more education. What action steps did you take after that?
1: I actually went and got my doctorate. Well, I'm actually finishing up my uh, dissertation now, but I'll have my doctorate in psychology. Not that I want to be a psychologist, but I just wanted to, I wanted to have the information. I wanted to have the knowledge to support other people.
0: Absolutely. That's, that's great that, you know, you're able to take something away from that incident to grow and use that to help other women in that situation.
1: Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, I, I work with kids. I work with first responders. And I work with women because I, me being a woman, I know what it's like to get to the other side of those issues. But um, just having that knowledge base has been awesome for me as a police officer. And that's really why I did it. I wanted to be a better police officer. They should make all police officers go to school to be, for psychology because that's what we deal with, human behavior, right? Right. Absolutely.
0: Yes, I'm a huge fan of more education. It would be fantastic if mm-hmm. if our, our law enforcement could, you know, have access to higher and higher levels of, of education
1: and training. Yeah, yeah. But they get to dispel all of that stuff from their past also. And that's one of the programs I have, too. It's called Responding First. And the foundation, too, is authentic all the time, meaning that we get to do deep dive deep cleanse, get rid of the things that are no no longer serving us. Um, Those biases, bring them to the surface. Let's talk about it. Those um, stereotypical thoughts, those poor experiences that you might've had in high school. Maybe somebody was bullying you. Let's bring that stuff to the surface because as a police officer, things will trigger you. And depending on where you are emotionally will determine the outcome of that situation. And so um, I feel like it can't hurt for a police officer to go through a program that helps them to dig deep inside of themselves and cleanse themselves internally to um, be better police officers.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You can't have change without awareness. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're repressing things and pushing things down and then you're not aware how they are actually affecting you.
1: And it comes out some way, shape or form. That that it comes out. My belief is that, you know, when you least expect it, that person that, that bullied you in fifth grade or sixth grade or whatever, is coming out because somebody's going to remind you of that incident or incidents. And so now you're in this position of authority, you know, now what?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, if if you have twenty years of repressed, built up
1: emotions or anger, yeah, Emotion.
0: and then something triggers that, and you you're wishing that you could have done something about that or should have done something about that before, you know, now you have an overstimulated response.
1: Yeah, and you go from sugar to shit. Excuse the expression. <laughs> <laughs> right now, especially nowadays. Yeah. You mean well, but this stuff comes up and now you're in a situation that is not looking good.
0: Right. Yeah, that's definitely a good way to
1: put it. <laughs> you're human. You're human. So it's not like you do it intentionally. I mean, for the most part, unless you do. I mean, sometimes people do. But if it comes up just because it, something was triggered, then that's unfortunate.
0: You know. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's very important work then to to work with people and help them to uncover those issues before it builds up and just comes out Mm -hmm. you know when you least expect it and don't want it for sure to affect how you're acting
1: Mm -hmm. I'm willing I'm willing to put some money on the fact that everybody who not everybody but lots of people who are in prison or in situations that are unhealthy or they don't want to be in. It started with a an emotion, a negative emotion that came up, that came up to the point where they didn't know how to manage it. Exactly. Yes,
0: I work with my clients a lot on learning to allow and process the emotion instead of repressing it. Like we talked about, that's just gonna build up. You know, a situation that's gonna come out at some time when it's the least helpful thing that could possibly happen. Generally
1: escalate into something that you know, you don't want, and you might regret later. We
0: see that very sharply with the law enforcement, but it also can happen for any of us, or, you know, as a mother, there may be something that happened in your childhood that can come up in a negative way with how you're being, showing up as a mom, if it's not managed. And affect the child.
1: Think about that. Think about what we just said. Okay. Somebody said something to you or did something to you when you were little mom, i.e. mom, and now you carry that with you for the rest of your life because mom didn't get rid of that stuff and her emotions took over her. You see how the pattern continues? becomes generational. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And that not talking about it, avoiding it, repressing it, and it keeps it going. Being willing to jump in it and get uncomfortable. That's how you work through it.
1: And that's a big thing for me. I never want to do anything that's going to hurt my kids intentionally. So I had to find out what is it that affects me to the point where it brings up negative emotion or negative energy because they, then they're affected, you know, and then their kids become affected and so forth and so on. So I did the work purposely, personally, and now it'll be professionally, purposely, personally for me, and then it'll be to support other people.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, checking in with yourself and finding out what you want and living in alignment with that is mm-hmm. unselfish because then you, you learn these things and you deal with these things that are hurting you and holding you back. And that mm-hmm. helps your relationships and how you treat other people that makes that better. So you're, you're even more able to serve and take care of others. Absolutely. Just got to fill your cup first, as they say.
1: Absolutely. But that, you know, that fill your cup first. I get it. I get it because I'm in this work. But that, that's a broad statement for a lot of people because they can say, yeah, I want to fill my cup. But they don't know how to do it because we are not taught that. Most of the time, we're not taught how to take care of ourselves first. Absolutely. We don't know well, what it means, where to start. Yeah, You don't know where to start. It's really unfortunate. We learn how to cook. We learn how to clean. We learn how to bathe and hygiene, we, you know, clean ourselves. We learn all of this other stuff externally, but we don't learn the stuff that's required internally.
0: Right. Yeah. And about pouring, you know, being able to pour into someone else's cup, you know, that's something that I, I've made like this analogy to like making a mixed drink mm-hmm. before, because, you know, even when people are like, okay, yeah, let's start doing that. They usually start with, you know, just the physical self care. Mm -hmm. That's not important, right? You know, a massage, a break, a nap. These things do help, right? But that's just one part. You got a whole mix going on in there, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah.
1: When you do the self care externally, it's like you're putting a band aid on on a wound or in a scratch or whatever.
0: If you lay down and get that massage or take that nap, if you wake up with the same mind that you laid down with you're going to have the same problems the same stress (laughs) yep so i mean you got to do the physical the mental the emotional all spiritual spiritual, all the all the parts of you
1: that's what makes up the whole person all, all four of those domains
0: right and then when you are taking care of all that that's when you're pouring the best the best drink for everyone around you
1: absolutely and that's really what it's all about that's really what it's all about. And I could even bring up the issue now with race and how the, it's not a new term, but it's a new term for me, how to be anti-racist. I'm learning all of that stuff now because it's, you know, it's it's in mainstream right now. Think about if we can go here. I'm asking permission if I can go here with you.
0: You're an African-American woman. I don't believe that I am in a position to give you permission to speak about race, so you go well,
1: ahead. No, 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 I'm saying, I don't know if you want that to be on your podcast right now, but we, I oh, mean we the podcast that. is about helping others. So. Okay. So this is all aligned to what we've been talking about. If you grew up in a household that spoke against people of a different race or different ethnicity or different sexual orientation, or just different, then yet that's embedded in you. It's embedded. And so you could possibly be carrying that baggage or you are carrying it. It's not even a possibility. It's it's a fact that you're carrying that baggage and you get to do away with that unless that's what you want. And if that's what you want, that's fine because it's a choice. But be ready to deal with the consequences of those choices. Right. So what I'm saying is if, your grandfather, your dad or mom or whomever instill those things into you, that toxicity into you, now is your opportunity just to get away, do away with it because it's been brought to your attention. So now do you want it or do you not? And if you want it again, that's fine. Be who you are. If you appreciate that, then that's fine. But be ready to deal with the consequences of it, whatever it may be. You understand what I'm saying?
0: Right, yeah.
1: If you want to read yourself of it, Be aware of it. Ask yourself the question, what do I want? Do I want to be hateful? Do I want to discriminate? Do I want to be racist? Any of that. And if your answer is no, okay, let's change it.
0: Right. And when you really ask yourself, that, you're going to come to that place because why be filled with hate?
1: You know, that's just going to make you miserable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not a good feeling and nobody can feel it but you. Why do you want to feel like that on the inside? Right. Nobody can feel that with you. But again, like I say, if it feels good to you to be hateful, okay. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That's, that's some deep-rooted, deep-rooted pain there. You know, (laughs) when you have that and that's something that you choose in your life, it, you know, there's obviously some, some deep-seated insecurities and pain that you're trying to push off onto someone else.
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. That's very sad. But I think if if i can go there now <laughs> one of the good things about talking about it which some people may actually be missing even though we're talking about it is like we talked about with law enforcement or even with mothers is awareness
1: mm-hmm.
0: and not repression
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know don't be i think maybe so quick to jump up and be like i'm not racist watch me do this watch me do that like maybe take a minute and see if you do have any kind of things that come out because it seems disingenuous to me because I've never met a person that didn't have some prejudice thought in their head at some point. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's like, we do hate it so much that we want to quash it, but, you know, it be like, oh, wait, I need to check that. <laughs> you know, I need to fix that.
1: If you get to check you, and that's that thing, you come and do those regular check-ins with yourself. Because we changed. Our experiences shape us. You just have to, you have to regularly check in with yourself.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, I could see that if you were like, say, a law enforcement officer and maybe in your area, statistically, you encountered more African-Americans than, you know, another race. And you're like, well, I'm not racist. That doesn't affect me. You know, maybe don't, don't jump in and stamp it. Think about it. What do you think when you see a black person on the street corner? Maybe it does come up for you, right? But you have to admit it to work on it.
1: Well, it came up for me and not because it's necessarily a black person. It's just that it's a person who happens to be black, who happens to be on the corner, who happens to be associated with those things that we often think drugs or whatever, You understand? So it's not necessarily a black, white at that point, especially for police. Right, right. It's an incident that you dealt with thousands of times and now you encounter it again. So automatically your brain goes back to those other incidents. And so now it looks like it's racist or you're being discriminatory or you're, uh, you know, but it's the experiences that we've had. I hope that makes sense. I hope it came out right. Yeah.
0: You're like, if it's if it's all these points of this past experience
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that and that's what I'm saying, like that primes you to act, you know, if that past experience went bad, you're ready for that and that you're primed up for that. And, and it
1: so happens that, okay, this person, the officer might be white or of another ethnic group, or it could be me. Same thing applies. But I'm not being racist against the you. Per- not me, but you know what I'm saying.
0: Mm-hmm. A
1: person is not necessarily being racist. It's just those experiences come back, and you deal with it accordingly.
0: Right. Yeah. You're, so you just quick
1: to jump to racist, you know. And some I'm not dismissing it. Some people. I mean, sometimes it is. But you got to think about the totality of the situation.
0: Right. Yeah both ways. Like, you know, you can have that eternal awareness of, okay, just because this lines up doesn't mean it's about to go from sugar to shit like it did last time. Right. But also from the outside point of view, looking in, like, well, wait, this is that same scenario that that was racism. Well, maybe not this time, because you don't know what happened to that officer over and over and over again on this street corner, you know, with these people.
1: Exactly. You got it, Lisa. <laughs>
0: Well, as I love, you know, having these conversations because I have black people in my life that I've cared deeply about and that I know, and, and my father's law enforcement,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: so I know how there's truth in all the sides, and there's also you know things that aren't seen mm-hmm. from all the sides, and if we can approach it with awareness, compassion, and uh, you know, like let's come to the table and have these talks, mm-hmm. you know, then it, we can have change. We can. Things can
1: get better. Mm -hmm. Remembering that we're all human beings first. Despite what we do, what we do, we're all human beings first. And we come with human emotion and human everything, you know? So I wish that these conversations were happening more and more and more, and people were open to receiving the information opposed to blocking it or not processing it. And that's what made it difficult for me. And I don't know if we spoke about this or not, but it made it difficult for me as an African-American woman and a police officer, how those emotions just took over me at some point because I know it from both sides. And I also work with a lot of Caucasian police officers. And although I don't know, I don't hang out or, you know, kick it at their houses, they don't present to me as being what they're accused of being. So it was a little bit of a challenge for me to process all of it. When George Floyd's the incident, when he was murdered, that first started. And then the riots and all that, it was, it was, it was difficult for me. I had to really process, you know, all angles of it.
0: Right. I imagine that that was a lot, a lot to process. And a, a, you know, a def- definitely a challenge for you, but also you are in a, a unique position to see and speak to all the sides, mm-hmm. having been in that place. And so, you know, I appreciate you being willing to to talk about that today and bring that up because I think, like we talked about, it's important to have that awareness in that in that situation to keep you know Black Lives safe, and then also for the police officers. If it goes, the compassion and the understanding goes both ways, then it's safer for everyone yeah. and, and healthier for everyone.
1: You're right. I went through, um, like I said, nearly 27 years and I never had a physical confrontation. You might find that hard to believe, but I've never had to fight anybody. I mean, of course I had to put hands on to make an arrest, but to out, all out fight, no to have to point my gun at somebody in, in a threatening way, no. So um, it can be done. And I think the key for me was that I'm aware. I'm aware of me, what comes up for me. I'm aware of the population that I'm dealing with. I'm aware of when I can engage and when not to engage. So it's, it's all about awareness for one. And you treat each incident at it, as its own. But again, like you say, it comes from awareness. I just learned over the years how to be the police. And I didn't know how to be the police until I learned how to be the police. But it took a lot of work, internal work for me to learn how to do it. And what I was getting from it. Because I had to, like we say, check in with yourself. I had to ask myself, why am I doing this? Do I want to be... Um out here in the middle of the night by myself, being the police. <laughs> Why am I doing this? <laughs> so yeah, it, it was a constant check-in and also understanding the population that I'm working with. And if I'm here to support you, help you, serve you, then that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to hurt you.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can see how keeping that awareness would be a challenge and something that We all need training on being aware of things because especially for the law enforcement. And like you said, having those same experiences, you know, all those points lining up over and over again, Mm -hmm. your brain loves a pattern. A negative pattern. Exactly. Our our brains are evolved to focus on the bad, to keep us safe and to process all this information by stereotyping, right? By putting things in these nice little packages. So that's. almost automatic and instinctual and you have to work to counter that you know you have to be like okay these are people not the situation that happened the other you know however many times Mm -hmm. you got to keep that awareness each time you come to a call
1: and you got to remember too that just like you have baggage or just like I have baggage and things that you know happen to me in my life so does the person that you're dealing with. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So all of that factors into my ability to be able to not have to put my hands on somebody. Understanding that, you know, if I'm respectful, the chances of them responding respectfully are greater. (laughs) If I come out of a bag, uh, you know, being disrespectful, then that's probably what I'm going to get back. I learned all of that as you know as I went through my career and um I try to teach students cadets or people interested in being the police the same thing but they have to figure it out for themselves all I can do is provide the information and they'll either take it or not
0: all right absolutely yeah they have to be willing to do the work and that's the the same way you know people when they come to coaching you have to be willing to put in the work because the way that you've always done things, the way you've always thought is the easy way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it's also not gotten you where you want to be.
1: <laughs> exactly. And also being mindful of the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. Yes. So if you want to change that, that too is possible if you're ready to do work. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: That we've talked about, you know, the happiness, the better relationships, you know, being being better even at your job and being able to show up as yourself and be fulfilled, passionate, purposeful, intentional. All that comes from
1: just putting in that work. Yeah, it's a great space to be in. I I can attest to that. And um, I am open if I can use this as a platform. I am open to receiving new clients. If anybody is interested in doing the work and trying to get to be their authentic selves all the time, no matter where they are, yeah. no matter room they walk into, you get to be your authentic self. I'm gonna tell you something. I would have never shown up on camera like this. <laughs> I never would have did that. But I'm okay with me now in my life. The point where I am in my life, I'm okay with that. I don't have any makeup on. I got a tank top on. I'm okay with that now. Before I wouldn't have been, I would've been trying to rush and get all my hair done and get my makeup done. Why? I mean, there's a time and a place for that.
0: <laughs> right, right. You know, sometimes it's fun get dolled <laughs> up, but I mean, they can't see you. I can see you. You look fresh and young and healthy. And like you said, you about to go for a walk. You look, you about to go run the heck out of something. <laughs>
1: I am. I'm getting ready to go run and or walk. I'm going to do walking today. I just, it's my too hot. Stuff.
0: It's too hot. Don't run. It's
1: hot. <laughs> yes, it's hot. So yeah, I am open to sporting wherever I can. And you, did you take a look at my, um, my website yet?
0: I was looking for it. And for some reason, I was not the Google master that I normally am that day. I found, I'm like, I know her LinkedIn. I know this and that. Where's the Authentically Me page?
1: Okay, so it's under... Consulting.com. Oh, okay.
0: And we will put your links in the show notes for everyone. So you guys can check that out and and check out her website.
1: Yeah, I'm just here trying to make a difference in the lives of those that want to make a difference in their lives.
0: Right. Yeah, so let's um, wrap up today with that. Speak out Mm -hmm. to the people that you serve and tell them what you have for them or get a little message out to them.
1: Okay. So if you want to check it out, check out what I'm offering. I'm on LinkedIn. I have the website peacocktrainingconsulting.com and all of my programs are listed on there. I have the authentically me um, slip slide launch, which is for young people, 16 to 24 years old. And then I have responding first, which is for first responders. And the foundation of my coaching is authenticity. You get to be your authentic self, despite all else. You get to learn how to be your authentic self and appreciate who you are, who God created you to be. And I have a program, um, the Authentically Me is going to launch in September. And so I am taking uh, enrollment now for that course, or it's really a program. And they can get that information on the website.
0: Awesome. So. You have the Authentically Me. And who's that kind of tailored to?
1: That's tailored really for anybody female. I haven't um, launched a program um, for men. Um, but that's tailored really for women, middle-aged women. And like I say, the other one, Slipside Launch, is for young people 16 to 24 who had a little bit of difficulty getting on the right path. And they, too, get to discover who they are and what they want out of their lives. So we work on like, uh, long-term, short-term goals, authenticity type stuff, communication, how to communicate effectively, how to manage your emotions, just things that they might've missed as in adolescence.
0: Right, absolutely. These, these skills are, are not really taught.
1: Mm-hmm. Emotional
0: resilience and, and managing your emotions in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Leadership skills. Yeah, anyone listening, Younger people that are interested in that, for sure, get, check out the website and get in touch with her. Or maybe if you have a child or um, that's in that age ra- range, you know, look into that and, and share that with them. Because getting this information early as possible would be just an amazing
1: thing, right? It's, a, it's actually a gift because we don't really get it all. Like you said, it's not really taught. So it's really a gift. And then the third program is Responding First, which is set up for uh, first responders to support them in the things that they do. We talk about uh, the skill sets that might be missing, soft skills like the communication piece, the emotional uh, literacy or emotional justice piece. And also, again, the foundation is authenticity so they can show up as who they are and not get caught up in the rat race of being in an authoritative position, showing up like in a way that they don't necessarily want to. You can be an authority without being authoritative, if that makes sense. The uniform speaks for itself. So people know you are the police. You don't have to, you know, (laughs) throw your weight (laughs) around. So the uniform speaks for itself. So you can show up and you have the authority. So all of that is, we talk about all of that in the program, as well as learning how to take care of yourself while you're trying to take care of everybody else.
0: Exactly. I imagine that it's, you know, a difficult balance to work on being that strong, authority, compassionate person, but not opening yourself up to really, really taking in on all the negative and getting depressed. And, you know, you have to take care of that emotional health for you as well, because there's a lot of trauma involved in the work.
1: And and another piece that um, I incorporated with the um, responding first is the vicarious traumatization, which is the indirect trauma that we absorb as police officers, I call it an invisible vapor that we absorb, the energy we absorb from the negativity. And again, if you don't become aware of that, it comes out in various ways. And oftentimes it's, it's negative. It can be um, drinking and using substances or fighting your significant other, or just being argumentative or any of those things. And um, Just the images and ability to sleep. Those are some of the symptoms of vicarious traumatization so that is included in the responding first how to manage that is similar to ptsd mm-hmm. um, but not not to the degree of ptsd
0: right yeah and it's an ongoing thing for many that they're still living mm-hmm. and still struggling with every day and not maybe even realizing the effects so that's an yeah. amazing service I've kept you quite a while today, but I appreciate you, you know, coming and, and sharing all this with everyone and, and putting your voice and your value out to the world. I really appreciate that.
1: I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much for having faith in me, being able to use my voice.
0: Absolutely. No, I, I was excited from the very beginning to meet you, uh, you know, being in the in law enforcement and a woman and everything. And I was I was super excited. So I'm um, So glad that you were a part of this.
1: Thank you again. Anything else to say? Just that um, my classes will fill up fast. My program will fill up fast. Um, So if you're thinking about it or you just want to talk about it, give me a call and we can chat and you can decide if I'm a good fit for you or if our program is a good fit for you.
0: Right, absolutely. Don't miss out. um, If you want to learn, you know, who you are, what you want and, and how to go after it you know, reach out, go to the show notes. One more thing. Um
1: I do have a closed Facebook group. It's called Authentic Time. All right. We'll have a link for that too. And if you want to just uh jump on and see what we're talking about, you can do that as well. All right, awesome. So many great resources to
0: learn from and get to know a little bit about being authentic. Hmm. And then, you know, jump in and do the real the work with Felisa.
1: Lisa, what else do we have for sure but ourselves that we're going to carry uh, for the rest of our lives? That's all we have, right? Wherever you go, there you are. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But thank you, ma'am. I appreciate you. Thank you.